Hello and welcome to Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. Today we will be speaking with author Tom Poland. Tom has written two books with Arcadia Publishing and the History Press, Classic Carolina Road Trips and South Carolina Country Roads. His third book with us, The Last Sunday Drive, focuses on vanishing traditions in Georgia and the Carolinas. Tom joins me to talk about country roads, country stores, home remedies, and other things from days gone by. Well, hey, thanks, Tom, for joining us. Hey, I'm glad to be on board with you this morning. Yeah, and I've, uh, I will go ahead and mention that you've already had two books with us, Classic Carolina uh, Road Trips and uh, South Carolina Country Roads, and you have another one That's coming right. out in November, November 18th, I think. The Last Sunday Drive, that's yes, right. Last Sunday Drive, Vanishing Traditions in Georgia and the Carolinas. That's right. Mm-hmm. It sort of makes a trilogy out of the three road trip books that we've been working on, uh, you know, for a few years now. And um, I think, you know, the three books sort of make a great set, in a sense, and that they cover that subject matter pretty well. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. What started you down the road of traveling the back roads and writing about places? Um, you know, most people drive by these areas, and they'll never see well, it because they travel on major highways or interstates. That's a question I get at some of the book talks I give, and it's a, a real simple answer in some ways and not so simple in others. I grew up in the back roads. Where I grew up in Georgia, rural Georgia, right on the state line near McCormick, South Carolina, Back roads and the subject matter that you see along them was all that I knew. It feels like home to me. Uh, but then the years rolled by, and I started driving the interstates like a lot of people, and it just wore me out. I mean, I had to get on the interstate yesterday for four miles over near Lake City, South Carolina, for a book talk, and I couldn't wait to get off of it. The back roads are really uh, refreshing, therapeutic, and it's uh, a great way to see what I call the real South Carolina or the real South because that's where it lives. The complicated answer is that my mother passed away four years ago, and I spent many times driving to her place in Georgia for a 72-hour shift to take care of her around the clock. And um, about that time, I was getting into photography again, which I've studied photography. I used to be a cinematographer shooting film back in the day, and I started taking a camera on these trips to actually record these unusual sites like Buffalo Country Stores ruins, abandoned graveyards, and so forth. And I started writing columns about them for all these newspapers, and it just led to the books. It was a a logical thing to do. Let me ask you, what interests you the most about what you do? You know, um, way back in the day, I was one of the editors at South Carolina Wildlife Magazine, and we covered a lot of natural history. You know, we would look into um, Blackwater Rivers, why are they black, sand dunes, what good are they? Um, Eastern Brown Pelican's life history and so forth. And I came out of there with an appreciation for and uh, an interest in that kind of subject matter. And then I combined it with what you might call blue-collar history, uh, old country stores and, you know, what happened there. For example, there's a store in Edgefield County that I'd driven by a thousand times where a tremendous family feud erupted in 1941, and there was a murder and it spread into a revenge chain reaction kind of killing, and eight people ended up losing their life because a mule hopped in another man's pasture and kicked a young cow or calf and broke its leg, and it had to be put down. He asked for $20 in uh, restitution, and the guy agreed to pay him that, but then when he went to get his check, he wanted 40 and a fight broke out. 
and he ended up getting killed, and that set off this chain reaction uh, down there in Edgefield County. So that's the kind of stories that are out there if you just take the time to stop, ask a few questions, and see what's going on with people. How... I know from the, reading the past two books and also the articles on your website, there are times where you just, like you just said, stop and just talk with people. How is that experience for the most part? People willing to talk or and tell their history and story? Well, as I tell people in my talks, when you get out on another man's property and put a camera on a tripod and start taking pictures of, say, his, his store or his uh, farmhouse or barn, uh, generally, of course, people are fine about that, but they will ask you questions, what are you doing? And then when you tell them, for example, I was over on Highway 10 near Virgery, South Carolina, when I got in front of an old store to take a picture of it, and it didn't take long for this fellow to drive up in a pickup truck and want to know what I was doing. And at first, he was a little hesitant. I told him I was working on the, the South Carolina Country Roads book, and did he mind if I took a picture of it? And he said, well... I guess it's okay. And then he told me this wonderful story. It was 175 years old. It was in his family now for the, for the fifth generation, and he's getting ready to tear it down because the roof is going on it. And this is this is what I see everywhere: um, the loss of visible relics, if you want to call them, of how people used to live. When you drive by an old country store, for example, it's more than just an old country store. It's living proof of how people used to live. Before Facebook and social media came along, your country store was your social media. People would think of a reason to go to a country store just to sit there and, and talk. And, um, of course, on the side of this particular store was this gorgeous old 7-Up sign, a classic vintage um, sign that American pickers would like. And I took a picture of it, and it's in the book, as well as the store. So people are willing to tell you their stories. I've never had anyone tell me to get lost. Not one. In your upcoming book... You're, you talk a lot about bygone traditions, and you know there are a lot of traditions if you grew up in the South like we did. Um, a lot of them have gone by the wayside. What's the tradition that you miss the most? Well, I don't know if you would call it a tradition. <clears throat> I guess it was a custom, which are most much the same, I suppose. But I really enjoyed as a kid growing up uh, on Sundays uh, when the church people would have dinner on the grounds. Uh, it was a fun time when all the kids would play ball out across the street. The women would get all this food and pile it up on these big stone tables, uh, cement slabs set on uh, cinder blocks or concrete blocks. And they'd put, um, you know, nice tablecloths across there and the tea and potato saddle and fried chicken and everything. We'd stand there. We didn't have a place to sit. We'd stand and eat. And that was just very memorable. Well, today, even your tiniest churches have what they call a fellowship hall. It's an air-conditioned building, uh, either adjacent to the church or close by, where you go inside and sit down in like a, a lunchroom facility, kind of like you might have had at school. And while it's nice and cool and air-conditioned and you don't have any flies or ants to contend with, it's certainly not memorable. It's no different than going to a fast-food restaurant. So I think today's kids will miss out on things like that, you know, the traditions like that. Another thing I miss, uh, I had a grandfather that had a smokehouse. And I was a little spooked by it. It was black, dark, scary kind of place. But when you stuck your head in it, that wonderful fragrance of cured ham, you just you just couldn't beat it. I was at a place uh, back in February, Brattonsville, which is a uh, historic farm community that's uh, a heritage center now. 
and they had a smokehouse there, complete with uh, salted meat in it. And, it. and that smell came back to me from all those years ago. I guess, you know, it's things like that from simpler times. Uh, people like to say, oh, those weren't the good old days. That was a lot of hard work. We had it much easier now. I kind of disagree with that. Uh, the people back then didn't know they had it hard, okay? They didn't know air conditioning was coming. They didn't know refrigeration would replace smokehouse, freezer lockers, and so forth. So I think I think that's not really a good argument. I think it was a very nostalgic, um, colorful way to live. And, and, I, and I, I think about it a lot when I write what I do. Yeah, I feel like today, if we... You know, because growing up, it's funny that you brought up the church uh, homecoming stories because uh, I saw from one of the stories that will be in the new book, you talk about Martin's Crossroad Congregational Holiness Church. And it was was a weird coincidence because my grandfather in the 70s actually pastored at that church for four years. And I was telling my mom about it, about that being in there, the story being in your new book, and she, without me even telling her about the long tables and eating outside, she just went ahead and said there was these. There were these wonderful long tables. They had the perfect tables for us to have a homecoming dinner on. And she even like brought up the shade of the trees. And oh, it's, yeah. it, it's, she remembers <laughs> that too, and it sticks with her. And I was lucky enough growing up in church because one side was Congregational Holiness, one side was Southern Baptist. So it was a lot of good fried chicken. And, of course, you can't have a church supper without green beans there in casserole that's form right. and normal form. But it's yeah, that's a tradition that people aren't just going to have, you know, on their own. It's not something they would know to seek out to have. And that's why it's so important, I think, that you've written that down. And you've also talked about how when you walked in, and this is something I have written down on my notes, when you walked into your grandfather's smokehouse and you that smell hit you, it's amazing how you know, your senses can take you back in time to a memory you might have forgotten. For instance, and this, you know, will sound weird to people maybe, but if I smell rusty old metal, mm-hmm. I'm taken back in time to my great-grandmother's house who I used to stay with during the summer. Her name was Nanny. And she had those old, Tom, do you remember those old metal glider rocker things? Oh, yeah, sure do. So sure I remember do. that smell. I remember sitting out there hearing her singing, just staring at cows across the way in the past year. Um, talking to neighbors as they came by, and that's just not something we what we're going to see in this uh, a generation coming up because basically they don't know that that exists that type of slow lifestyle where you enjoyed actually going to see people instead of texting with people uh, that it once that's existed right. that way. So I, well, life has changed so fast due to technology. I have a granddaughter who's twelve, and she finds it impossible to believe that I used to have to stand and talk on the phone uh, and could only walk a few feet because it was attached to the wall by a cord and I could only walk so far. You know, she's used to roaming around with these cell phones and everything. So it's really, uh, really changed in a hurry. And these younger people, they don't have a clue what they're missing. They just don't. And, you know, we have, you know, historical reenactments for Revolutionary War time periods, uh, Civil War time period, early colonial reenaction, but reenactments but there will never be i feel anybody reenacting this time period that's long gone now i hate to say long gone hopefully there'll be some type of you know some type of reoccurrence or a revival of just spending time with people and if you're sitting at a table with someone put your phone down and look them in the eye and talk with them it's a really important part of human connection and 
your book really shows how important that human connection was still is to learn stories like you said you know stopping by and uh, learning about I guess what we could call the South Carolina Hatfield McCoy like feud over a mule uh, it's that's right it's just a it really a low, sad thing Timmerman feud back in those days and uh, boy is it is it a story for the times I'm gonna tell you right now you know and, and, and we're losing other things. You know, used to be, and I put this in the last Sunday drive, used to be when you'd drive through the uh, the land, you'd come across a junkyard. And um, they were deemed eyesores later, and I think during Lady Bird Johnson's uh, era, her beautification of America uh, uh, approach, they had to be screened behind a uh, fence or removed totally from sight from a road somehow. But when you looked at those junkyards, Man, you could see these old classic cars and the jumbled up mess of colors and all. To me, I, I thought it was right beautiful. So I put that in the last Sunday drive, and I wrote a piece in there about mules. You don't see mules like you used to. And mules built this country before the gasoline engine came along. That was our power, you know. Uh, they would help grind corn, plow fields, snake timber out of the woods. And they're really interesting animals. I came across a mule cemetery up in North Carolina that's in that book. And I mean, it is a mule cemetery complete with granite headstones like you'd have for your great-granddad, complete with the name of the whole, a mule, uh, some characteristic mild, sweet and gentle, her year of birth, her year of death. Uh, this was a guy up near Raleigh-Durham that did that. And uh, see, that's the kind of thing that's out there you can see if you get off the interstates. Of course, this is close to an interstate, uh, we'll have to say, because development's swallowing it. But there are sites out there like that, you know, and you just need to slow down and get on the back roads, take a camera with you, and open eyes, and you'll be glad you did. Yeah, I was we I, I was lucky enough to grow up um, with a father who was an antique, you know, you you brought up American Pickers earlier. Well, my dad called it junkin', going out to buy Junk. antiques. And junkin', yeah, I've heard Oh, it's, it, was a, it was a great way to grow up. Um, he got mad at me that I didn't think about having a TV show like the American Pickers did before they did. Uh, but <laughs> it, the type of people you would meet are salt of the earth, you know, good people. Um, it, just the different houses you would get to go into uh, to buy antiques from. And, you know, if you were way out in the country in Georgia and you're driving those roads, there'll still be some of those junkyards that a fence oh, hasn't yeah. gotten to yet. And I know it's one of those things that, you know, I miss growing up because a lot of times in the summer, if my dad was off, we would go out junking, looking for antiques. And that's uh, it's a precious memory, memory that I would hope to pass on to my kids as well. Yeah, I think it takes a deliberate effort now to try to recreate or maintain what we used to take for granted, you know, like family reunions. Family reunions <clears throat> used to be very popular, and, and you could count on one every year. My mother's people were very good about that. I don't think it's as popular today as it used to be with people because, for, for one thing, families are scattered out now. I mean, there's, some are so far away as to make it impractical for them to come to reunion. Uh, social media, you know, you can look at your grandkids' pictures on your computer at home. You don't have to always, you know, be there in face, face-to-face in person. So that's something I've seen sort of uh, disappear. Uh, homemade toys. We used to make our own toys out of bamboo and old wooden sewing spools and so forth. Hey. This is the age of plastic now. You you go buy something at the toy shop or Walmart. Uh, Toys R Us is gone, I think. I think they they closed. But it was a more um, it was it was a, it was a time when we had more contact with real things. 
is the way I like to say. Say things where, you know, sawdust piles. We used to play on sawdust piles. You don't even see those anymore because sawdust is now turned into a wood composite type particle board and things like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it'll last you for about five years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I tell people in, our, in my talks, I said, you know, we've gotten too big for our bridges. We really have. We think we're so sophisticated now. We've abandoned all these old simple times and ways that were so enjoyable. And I guess you can blame air conditioning for a lot of that and technology. Uh, electricity is, is, is behind it all, you know. Rural electrification. I think, I, I believe I put in the last Sunday drive something I thought was remarkable. My mother told me that when they were growing up, and electricity came into their northern Lincoln County, Georgia uh, region, there was a family a, a, a ways off that got the first light bulb. And they would all, the neighbors and friends and people in that community, would go to this person's house and they would sit and stare at the light bulb. They would stare at it until they got pink eye. They had never seen anything so miraculous in their life. Think about that. Isn't that something? In this one room I'm sitting in, I've counted eight light bulbs. Probably LEDs now. Yeah. You know? Really bright. You know, bulbs. air conditioning did away with the old beautiful funeral fans um, that women would use in church. Um, air conditioning caused the windows to be shut everywhere. And all of a sudden, flies were not a problem. Old screen wire fly swatters, you don't see them like you used to. You can find plastic ones. They don't but do a my good grandmother, job. No, they don't. My, I wrote about it, too. My grandmother, uh, on my dad's side, she could have two fly swatters in her hands and take out about eight flies with two swift, swift flicks of her wrist without even looking. She was, she was a master at that. It was unbelievable. An assassin. That's what she was, a fly <laughs> assassin. <laughs> well, you know, you... You were talking about how you used to, or people would find a reason just to go to the country store to have a conversation, uh, see folks. Is there a place in South Carolina or Georgia that kind of reminds you of that? A place that you would maybe around Christmas time, instead of people going onto a, a major website or, you know, a Cyber Monday well, deal yeah, the shop? Well, yeah, there are. There are. Yeah. There are some places. Uh, there's some that are sort of New Day versions of them. For example, Mass General has that country store feel. And uh, Mass General, by the way, has been very good to me. They stock my books. And the one here in Columbia has me in for a Christmas signing every year, which always goes well. Um, if you go out towards Georgetown, South Carolina, near King Street, Salters, and that part of the world, Highway 521, you're going to come by Cooper's Country Store, which is pretty much the real deal. Boy, I, I never stopped there. It's not just packed with people. I think it's been written up in Southern Living and Gardening Gun. You go in there, and they've got hams, uh, uh, sugar-cured hams hanging from coat hangers in a screen cage. Mm. They'll sell you shotgun shells. They'll sell you plumbing supplies, house paint, groceries, Coca-Colas, uh, just about anything you want, gasoline included, you can get there. It's a really fascinating place. And every time I go in there, the line is about eight or ten people deep. So that's another place you can go. As far as uh, looking up on one now and then, you can still sort of see what is the semblance of a country store. You know, it's changed. Um, credit card transactions are okay, and you have to pump your own gas and that kind of thing. But there was a time you'd walk in a store like that. You could charge what you wanted. The owner, proprietor, would walk it, mark it down in a little carbon notebook of copies 
and once a month you come in there and tally up what you owed and, and give them some money. And those days are gone. My mom says that that's how they we lived back in the fifties. That you know money was tight, and they would get groceries from a country store on credit. Well, use a credit card today. You know how that goes. Oh yeah. Awful, just awful. Too big for our bridges. That's what's happened. So, Tom, and back then, if there was something you wanted that the store didn't have, they had magazines they would order for you that would be delivered to the store, right? Yes, sir. Now, you're talking about Sears Catalog, too, now. Let's don't forget it. (laughs) Uh, At Georgia writer Harry Cruz, uh, he said he became a writer because of the Sears Catalog. He was a real poor kid down in Bacon County, Georgia, and a sharecropper's son. He and his friends would look at the pretty pictures of the people in the catalog and fantasize stories about them. And he said that's what led him into writing. But he said whoever uh, sent all those Sears catalogs into the homes of country people deserved a medal for bringing all that beauty and perfection into their lives. And, yeah, you could do it back then, uh, order something from a catalog. Of course, today you get online, Amazon. Some truck delivers it the next day. You don't have to talk to anybody. You just take the package. You don't go get any smells from a country store, such as uh, the old sawdust they used to use on the floor, you know, to sweep along there, or the uh, the Coca-Colas they would pull out of an ice-filled vat, put peanuts in them. That really did happen. That wasn't some cliche people dreamed up. It really did happen. So you miss out on a lot of what I call sensory perception now because you're so walled in with credit cards and online services. You just don't go out like you used to. When you're talking about those Cokes, we're talking about the Cokes with real sugar in it and a glass bottle. That's right, a glass bottle. And back home where we were, the first thing we would do is when we got a Coke bottle, we'd turn it upside down and look at the bottom of the bottle to see where it was bottled. Because it could have been real close by, like in Washington, Georgia. And that was kind of a cool thing to see where your bottle came from. Uh, Plastic today, I just, uh, too much plastic. Yeah, too much plastic. Nothing like if anybody has never had a Coke with real sugar in it in a glass bottle from a freezer to where you drink it, it burns your throat a little bit, but it's a good That's burn. Right. You're missing out That's on it. Right. That's right. Coldest Coca Cola ever burned came from a country store in Lincoln County, Georgia called Price's. Price's store down in the Double Branches community. My aunt and the field hands and I were out hauling up my granddad's uh, hay one summer, one summer day. And man, was it hot. She went to Price's store with a cooler, an um, ice chest, and came back with a bunch of Cokes that had come straight from that icy vat to her ice chest. And sitting up against a persimmon tree with my back against it, I downed that Coca-Cola about three or four swallows. I remember it to this day. That was the coldest Coca-Cola in the world. It was wonderful. Gosh, that was a good Coke. Well, those are the things I, I love to write about, the old days. Um, I really, I've, I've said this before in my talks, and people always laugh, but I'll say it right here. I've got two grandsons. One just graduated from college, and one's at Virginia Tech. Smart kids, too. When they get to be in their 60s, and they have grandchildren, I guarantee you they're not going to sit around and say something like, boy, I sure do miss Walmart. They just don't make stores like that anymore, because <laughs> it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Nothing memorable about it, you know? Big old box stores, fluorescent lighting, just nothing memorable. About it. For example, tile floors or cement floors. The country stores had wooden boards. And I worked in one when I was a kid, about 10, 11 years old, stacking groceries, 
stocking shelves, pumping gas, sweeping the floor. One of the guys that worked there was a prankster. He took a quarter and soldered it to a nail and drove it into the floor right near the entrance there. I can't tell you how many kids I saw just scrape their fingers to the bone trying to pick that quarter up. <laughs> it, it was a great source of amusement, man. We, we just got so many laughs out of that quarter. I guess somebody eventually got it up. That store's closed. It's closed now, you know. Everything's gone. And yard art. Used to be you'd see all this yard art, you know. Uh, people would take tires <clears throat> and bury them along their driveway so it created a semicircle, kind of like a serpent's back like the Loch Ness Monster or something, and paint it white. And, and that would sort of give them a, a nice border along their driveway. I, I see that now and then, but it used to be real common. You don't see that like you used to. On homeowners uh, associations. Oh, yeah, try that today and see what it gets you. Sure. Too big for your britches again, you know. Old-fashioned petunias. I could not believe it. I stumbled by some about um, a month and a half ago on Highway 378, right where the Edgefield Saluda County line come together at an old store that's been abandoned. And there are these beautiful, old-timey petunias like your grandmother had, lavender, standing about a foot high. I stopped, went in there. They're fragrant. They have a nice uh, fragrance. Took pictures of them. And they were, pu they were pushing up through cracks in asphalt. Man, were they tough survivors. Of course, the petunias today are sort of a vine type that hang out of uh, bas hanging baskets. And they don't have much fragrance, if any. So, you know, we, we're losing stuff like that. Um, so I wrote about that. I put that in the last Sunday drive. Eating dirt. People used to eat dirt. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. We used to. We had a grocery store, too, when we were growing up, and we would sell dirt in the grocery store. White clay. Kaolin. Pregnant women would eat the white clay. That's right. I looked into it, and uh, there's it, it, worldwide this phenomenon takes place. And there's some belief that the clay... Uh, absorbs toxins and um, of course it's in our food anyway I uh, commercial ice cream has kaolin in it to make it sort of smoother I think and uh, you know back at the country store I worked at these people would come in and buy Niagara starch and they would eat it and I asked Bill Goosby who was the guy that drove that quarter into the floorboards I said why are they doing that he says uh, it's pretty good for them they think you know if they can't get clay they'll eat Niagara starch you ever heard of that? I had never heard of eating starch. Oh, yeah. Home remedies. Got a wart on your hand? There'd be some old timer somewhere that could take it off with a piece of broom straw and some sort of incantation, mumbo-jumbo, and tell you to, like, take, take that straw, break it in half, and throw one half of it over your left shoulder and don't look back, and your warts will go away. Well, I had a wart on my left uh, knuckle on my index finger that came back twice after the doctor burned it off. In those days, they would burn it off. This fellow was at my shop's dad's shop one day, and he said, let me see your wart there. And he did just what I described. And that wart went away. It has not come back yet. You know, Maybe have, the third time arm. There's, even since, you know, I, I've, I'm only 36. Wait a minute. Yep, 36. I had to count it. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, of those home remedies that have gone away, you know, such as if you have a blister, don't pop it before sundown. I remember my great-grandmother's telling me that. Um, don't work on Sunday, the devil will get your soul, those kind of, you know, homey kind of sayings. Um, do right. you still hear anybody of, you know, I guess in my generation, uh, millennials, the upcoming generation, uh, do you think any of these uh, sayings have any staying power? 
or they'd be lost from our oh. lexicon. Because I would hear I it too, in, you know, in different parts, because we travel different parts of the country, you would hear things in different parts of the country too, not just the South that way. Yeah, um, you know, I, I talked to some people, and uh, it brought back memories of them, of, of home remedies, and some of the things they used to do. Uh, oh gosh, see if I can think of one real quick. Uh, well, you know, I guess this falls into the realm of home room. If you get a bad sting like a wasp or a bee, uh, they'd, they'd take some cigarette tobacco, chew it up, make it wet and a paste, and stick it on the sting, and supposedly it would, uh, you know, pull it out and get the pain to go away and all that. Uh, that happened to me about two weeks ago. I got I got hit by a sting, and uh, I don't smoke. Never have smoked. So I don't have tobacco. But uh, that was one of the things we all uh, believed in uh, with all our heart back in those days. You got stung? Here, put some tobacco on it. That'll take care of it. And it did. I don't know if it was a placebo effect, thinking that hey, my grandma's doing this, my father's you know putting you know tobacco on on this sting, but it worked. You know, if That's it was right. placebo or not, I, I don't know. But all I know is it worked. Well, I, I, I had it happen to me a few times, and, and, and it might have been psychosomatic, but I, I thought it worked, you know, and um, uh, did it work? I don't know. Uh, you got a sore throat, get some moonshine and, and peppermint candy, crush that candy up and dissolve it in that moonshine, and uh, imbibe. It'll, it'll take care of you. Cough, maybe even a toothache, who knows? Maybe have- the alcohol's doing, doing, the, uh, doing the magic, you know? Or maybe. But... Uh, yeah, the home remedies. I was in an old plantation over in the Low Country near uh, Georgetown County, and I just happened to be taking this tour. And there, on one of the shelves, were a bunch of old home remedy medicinal bottles that people used to put stuff like that in. And so it was a beautiful um, collection of bottles. I took a picture of it, and it's in the book. So uh, you know, people believed in home remedies back then. Clotheslines. We used to hang our clothes up. We didn't need dryers. And you'd get some clothes off 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 the clothesline that had been out there all, all day in the sun and wind. Man, they had the freshest smell to them, and they would be stiff and starchy-like, you know, real stiff from where they had dried. Now you just throw it in a dryer, put some uh, fabric softener sheet in there, and use electricity. That's not very green, is it? Clothes clotheslines were good. <laughs> My grandma used to say a cloud's coming up. That was old folks' way of saying a storm was coming, clouds coming up. And uh, you run out there and get your clothes in if they were pretty close to dry. I, I'm thinking, you know, I wrote a section in the, in the new book that's coming out in November, the last Sunday drive, too, about holiday-type drives. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd get in the car and go out into the country, most of the time to my grandfather's farm in the lower part of the county, come Christmas looking for a Christmas tree or uh, eastern red cedar. And we'd we'd get out on that farm and look for the perfect tree, you know. <clears throat> and it was so it was so fun. It was so much fun. It was such a great part of Christmas. And now people have these plastic trees they put in the attic when they're not using them. They bring them out once a year for Christmas. They'll rotate and have lights that flash and all this. Shoot, I love the old cedar trees. They were so aromatic, and we'd hang. Uh, all kinds of real ornaments on them. It wasn't any of this LED light stuff like you got today. It just seemed more real. It seemed just seemed more authentic, you know, back then. Yeah, we are losing a bit of that authenticity. Uh, we we had a vacation at the beach uh, last month in June. My entire family just about went to Surfside, South Carolina, Surfside Beach. And some evenings, <clears throat> my sister Deborah would uh, turn up some ice cream, and and uh, you know. 
it was great. It was an electric churn, I believe, but I remember the days when we had hand crank churns, and Daddy would give me the assignment of sitting out on the back steps and churning that thing until it got so hard to churn that ice cream was setting up. You knew it was ready. And if, and if that's not the best ice cream on planet Earth, I don't know what is. Few people do that anymore. I know some do, but it used to be common. Churn up some ice cream. You know, everybody had a churn, a wooden churn. Ones you see now are made out of fiberglass and plastic, I think, and uh, they work, but they're certainly not as colorful as a cedar churn. It's just got that beautiful wood and all. all right, and if you've never had peach ice cream, homemade peach oh, ice man. cream made that way, you've missed out. You just don't know. And just plain, one, one thing I wanted to cover, too, is how much fun it used to be to drive through the countryside and see these wonderful ads back in those days before billboards came along and all that, such as the old Burma Shave ads that you used to see here and there with their really funny little rhyming um, jingles on them. And, of course, now and then <clears throat> you might come across a Sea Rock City barn with old roof painted Sea Rock C7 states from Rock City. You know? mm -hmm. And, uh, and there's one there's one in South Carolina that still stands. In fact, it's the only one the state's ever had that I'm aware of. And it's on Highway 28 out of McCormick, South Carolina, going toward Abbeville. It's a few miles before you get to Abbeville on the left. And you'll miss it if you're not really looking for it because it's faded. But I put it in the book, Sea Rock City. Great story behind it, too. <clears throat> this guy was hired to go all over the southeast and paint these uh, barn tops as an advertisement for Rock City, and, um, and it worked. And it became, it became a part of Americana. You can buy birdhouses now that have Sea Rock City on, birdhouses that look like barns and so forth. So, you know, we don't, we don't do this kind of stuff anymore. We just don't. You've written about a lot. You've seen a lot. In Georgia or South Carolina, what, if you had to pick a favorite, what is your favorite natural or historical wonder you've seen? Well, let's see. In classic kind of road trips, I wrote about um, the high hills of Santee, which is over off, I think, Highway 261 between Camden and Sumter. You actually get on Highway 521, and then you peel off on the 261, and eventually it comes out on 378. But uh, that, that part of, of South Carolina is memorable to me because it's the only place I've been that makes me think I'm in the mountains and the low country at the same time. You have these ancient dune systems, that's the high hills. And they, you can look across them like you're in the mountains. Sure enough, it's like a, just a drop-off, a deep view of a valley. And yet when you turn and look at all the trees around you, they're just saturated in Spanish moss. So that's, that's a natural history-type location I like. As far as a throwback to how things used to be, I love going to the CVN over at Polly's Island. I've been going over there for some research on a book I'm working on, and... Um, I'll go to the CVU Inn because it's, it's a throwback to the 50s. No air conditioning. They don't take credit cards. There is no menu you choose from. You just go, and whatever they're serving, that's what you're going to eat. I think Tuesdays might be fried chicken day. It might be Thursdays. I can't remember which. But you go in there. You make a reservation. You sit down at a nice table with a white linen tablecloth and real silverware. And wonderful people come up and serve you. Your name is on an envelope on your table. You put $20 in it in your tip, no credit cards, and, and, and that's how that goes down. And right outside is the, is the Atlantic Ocean, 
with old rocking chairs on a, on a porch. The windows are open. The sea breeze blows through. And I'm telling you, it's like going back into the 50s. No fast food, great southern cooking, no credit cards, cash only. It's a very popular place. Every time I go there, it's, it's, it's booked. It's full. That's another place I like because it makes me remember growing up before air conditioning, you know, which we all love air conditioning, but you can get by without it sometimes. I just enjoy a country drive because uh, you just get more relaxed. I mean, you get on the interstate driving 75, 80 because everybody speeds now. Trucks, rough pavement, construction. I I put an image of a traffic jam at 5 o'clock on I-26 over here at Harbison Boulevard in my talks. So all of a sudden, people will be going down these country roads, seeing these old barns, wonderful old cemeteries, and then all of a sudden they get a joke. There's a traffic jam. I said, I just want to remind you of what you're missing if you take a back road. And then I tell them this, but I hope all of you don't do what I'm telling you to, because one day I'll go down a back road and you'll have it all locked up with traffic because you're all out there. So don't take my advice, okay? That's what I tell them. It's kind of funny. But, boy, it's, it's just relaxing to get on the back road and, 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 and drive along at a rate that's comfortable looking, just seeing the land and how people live, you know, crops, pecan orchards, unusual places, beautiful old homes, columned homes that are uh, rotting and about to fall down, visible reminders of how people used to live, you know. Tom, you got any upcoming signings, events that you want to plug? Well, I just had two this week, and I'm about to run out of events. Uh, let me see. I've got let me get my calendar up in front of me, and I'll tell you. Um, it's, it's been a lot of fun going out and meeting people at these events. Um, and, 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 you know, um, there's a lot of interest in, in this back road stuff. Coming up soon, what have we got here? I will be in... Um, North Augusta, August 15th, talking about South Carolina back roads. I can't remember exactly the group that's having me. And in uh, September 20th, I'll be at the Southern Studies Showcase in Edgefield, South Carolina at 345 that afternoon. I believe that's a Friday. I know it's a Friday because September 21st, Georgia plays Notre Dame in Athens, and I will be there. (laughs) That'll be a good game. It will be, sure. Then October 10th, I'll be at the Richland Ballantine Library in Irma, South Carolina, from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m., talking about the back roads. That's great, and I'm looking forward to working with you again on a book, the new book coming up in November, and uh, hopefully we'll give you a very busy holiday season. Sounds good to me. I enjoy working with all of you, too. I sure do. Yeah, you're, yeah, it's always, Tom, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, and you're a, a true gentleman, and... I can't tell you how thankful I am for you to come do this podcast with us. I enjoy talking to you, and I enjoy working with you. And anytime you need me back, just let me know. That sounds great. All right. Thanks, Tom. If you would like to know if there is a book about the history of your state or town, visit our website, ArcadiaPublishing.com, to search by topic or even zip code. We take pride in being the champions and preservationists of local history.